Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hi, everyone. I'm Carol. And I'm David. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. You know David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know we love talking about sex and sexuality, sexual pleasure, communication, consent, respect, relationships. And today we're going to get into fantasies. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So are you hesitant to ask for what you really want in bed? What are you afraid of? Rejection? Humiliation? Shame? What if you found out that your partner also wants the same thing or maybe something different? Wouldn't that be cool? On today's show, we're going to be talking about how sexual fantasies can help you understand your sexuality and what you really want when it comes to sex. Yeah. And just to remind you that today's show is brought to you by Promiscent and all of their sexual health and wellness products, including their delay spray for erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation and their female arousal gel and lubricants and so much more. Try Promiscent today to get better in bed. Go to promescent.com and order yours now. That's promescent, P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T.com. Absolutely. Go do it. We try their lube and it is absolutely fantastic. Before we get on with our guests, we want to remind you about our top waterproof blanket because everybody should continue to have great sex now more than ever. But if you're fed up with sleeping in the wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils to silicone lubes or any other sexy wetness, just throw it in the wash and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new and you don't even have to leave your house to get one you can simply safe and safely go to amazon and order yours today search top waterproof blanket that's t-o-p waterproof blanket great sex starts now it sure does and so does today's show you know we're carol and david this is the sexy lifestyle and we are super excited to welcome today's mega special guest Dr. Justin Lehmiller is a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University, and he's authored books such as Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life, as well as The Psychology of Human Sexuality. This is going to be one of those shows that you need to listen to right to the end. Dr. Justin, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. We know you have a super busy life, and thank you for taking time out of your busy day for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you both. Yay. And you know, this coronavirus has affected everybody. So we were just wondering how your relationships and your sex life has been affected by the coronavirus. (laughs) My own personally? Sure. (laughs) Well, it's been an interesting time for a lot of reasons. Um, For me personally, I've been in a relationship for 21 years and much of that relationship was long distance. In fact, we spent about five years long distance. And I'm someone who travels a lot for the work that I do because I'm putting on workshops and lectures around the country. And because of the pandemic, I had to spend a lot of time at home and so did my partner. And so we had a lot of 
growing pains and adjustments because we're not used to spending that much time <laughs> together. And it's funny because I'm somebody who studies the science of sex and relationships. And so I should know like, how to navigate these kinds of situations, but I still found it to be relatively challenging. And I can only imagine what other people went through with that. But I think the biggest issue for me was just kind of getting that personal space that I needed. And you figured it out, I'm sure. We did. It took a while, but we figured it out. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Well, Carol and I spend the majority of our lives together. We work from home. We travel a lot. We travel a week a month. And so well, the pandemic. COVID. The, right. And yeah. the pandemic hasn't changed our relationship much. The, the biggest difference for us is we haven't been able to swing. Yes. So we, we miss yeah. our friends. So we've been um, exploring and experimenting with a whole bunch of new sex toys that um, we've been getting over the years as samples. And lots of fantasy. I'm yeah. glad we're going to be getting into that today. Yeah. We've been doing a lot of role playing and yes. stuff. So yes. uh, we'll talk to Justin about that as the show goes on. Right. Um, Justin, you, you're, you're part of the Kinsey Institute. Tell us a little bit about what that is. So the Kinsey Institute, I would describe it as sort of the premier institute for sex research around the world. It was founded by Alfred Kinsey, who conducted the landmark studies on human sexuality in the 1940s and 50s, and was the first person to really study sex from a scientific perspective. And his findings sent shockwaves around the world mm -hmm. because they shed a light on how much sexual diversity there was and the big disconnect that existed between what people thought people were doing when it came to sex and what they were actually doing. And so the Institute today has many sex researchers who are doing work on a lot of different areas on sexuality and relationships and just really helping us to advance and understand what what's happening in our sex lives and how to have better and healthier sex lives and relationships. Wow. And how did you get into this field in the first place? It was not intentional. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's not something where, you know, growing up, I said, hey, I want to be a sex researcher when I get older. But for me, I was working on my doctorate in social psychology, and I was studying romantic relationships. And I got assigned to be a teaching assistant for a human sexuality course. And that's what really opened up my eyes to this whole world of sex research that's out there. I mean, previously, I grew up going mostly to Catholic schools. So I had no exposure to sex education or sex research or anything like that. And that course made me realize how little I know, how little most other people know, and how many important and unanswered research questions there are. So that's what inspired me to go into the field was to really make a contribution and to ask the questions that have never been asked before. That's and, very that's very cool. Excuse me yeah, for one no second. Problem. It's very cool because um, our radio show, we've been on the air now three years, and uh, we have over a million listeners, and, and we don't quite understand you know, what makes our show so unique. Um, until someone uh, a couple of weeks ago said, you know, you guys are swingers, you guys are into orgies and foursomes and morsums and all that stuff, but your show is all about talking to people, especially those who don't know what they don't know. And we have these amazing guests like yourself on our show who bring educational, credible information to the masses um, about different areas of sexuality which, um, with no judgment. Right, exactly. That's very cool. And, you know, I consider myself as somebody who very much follows in the footsteps of Alfred Kinsey, where one of the things he famously said in one of his books was that we are the recorders and reporters of facts, not the judges of the behavior right. that we describe. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the approach that I take in my work is to not judge people and to just help them understand and lead happier and healthier sex lives. 
So you've turned into a researcher. Is that something that you um, slowly got into? And even after you decided to be in this field of sexuality, did you start right away with research? I started out being a researcher and educator. And I actually spent about 10 years as a college professor teaching human sexuality courses at universities around the country and conducting research on a lot of different topics. How I really got into it, my very first sex study was on people who had a friend with benefits and looking at kind of how do those relationships work and what factors predict better outcomes in the long run. So I have several publications on kind of what makes a friend with benefits work. And do you remember any of the top things that are, are keys to make that happen? Sure. So one of the studies, we actually just published it recently. It took several years to, to kind of get it out there. But this was a longitudinal study of Friends with Benefits where we followed people for a year to see what happens to those relationships over time. And one of the things we found was that the people, and this is very surprising, but the people who spent the most time communicating their boundaries at the beginning and what the relationship was and wasn't and got on the same page were the most likely to get what they wanted out of it. Mm-hmm. But people who went in thinking, hey, a friend with benefits is a great way to start a romantic relationship, they were very unlikely mm-hmm. to get what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. having those matching expectations and communication is so important. I can imagine that's really where you need to be. Now, we're going to be talking about fantasies today. So why don't we get into the kind of research that you did in order to come up with all this, well, data that you got. Tell us all about that research that you did on fantasies. So for this book I wrote called Tell Me What You Want, I surveyed 4,175 Americans from all 50 states, ranging in age from 18 to 87, and they completed a 369-question survey. The 69 was not intentional. <laughs> I'm sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was subconscious. <laughs> but it was an extensive questionnaire where I had them report on their favorite fantasy of all time, as well as hundreds of people, places, and things they might have ever fantasized about. And then I collected data on their demographic backgrounds, their personalities, their sexual histories, so that I could look at not just what do we fantasize about, but what do our fantasies say about us? And you did this over at which period of time? How long ago, perhaps? The data were collected, I believe, between 2014 and 2016. It it took about two years to collect all the data because Mm -hmm. there's really no funding Mm -hmm. to do a study like this, at least in the United States. You know, if you want to study sex and get grant funding, you kind of have to be studying the negative side of sex. Right. You have to yeah. be looking at STDs yeah. pretty much. Yeah, I guess. So I did it all on my own and it took a while, but I think the end result was worth it. Wow. Now, when you when you did the study on these fantasies, were you able to um, experience or see some of these people enacting their fantasies or was it all um, paper, surveys. verbal, uh, over the phone surveys? So this was an anonymous online survey. Mm -hmm. And the reason I decided to collect data that way is because so many people feel so much shame and embarrassment about their fantasies. And so talking about it face to face would, I think, be very inhibiting for a lot Mm -hmm. of people. And people tend to be much more honest when there is that sense of anonymity. So that's the way I decided to go so that people would be as honest as possible. Well, we're exhibitionists, so if ever you want one, you know, live like Masters and Johnson did, you want to observe people, just call us and we'll show you, we'll play out some of our fantasies. (laughs) No, it sounds like a whole lot of fun, but it must have taken a lot of, um, I guess, detail-oriented going through all the data, one after the other after the other, and do you plot it? Do you, like, put it into a computer, like, and spit out the results? Like, how does it work? 
Oh, yeah. So, you know, people think that the life of a sex researcher is really glamorous. <laughs> and, you know, they, they think that it looks like masters of sex every right. day where we're sitting there observing everybody having sex. But for me, it's mostly sitting in front of a computer with a, a Word document open in my statistical program and running numbers and yeah. figuring out what's going on. But one of the things I did do was take people's favorite fantasy of all time and plug that into a word cloud generator. It's a kind of get a map of our sexual fantasies and that was really interesting wow. Neat, neat, neat. Wow. in our next section we're going to get into your book and and all the ins and outs of fantasies but we we wanted to ask you um y- your study ended like you said in 2016 2017 what what in terms of your knowledge and education has changed now with respect to fantasies during the pandemic which is going on So that's a great question. And some of my colleagues and I at the Kinsey Institute have been conducting a longitudinal study since mid-March to look at how this pandemic is affecting people's intimate lives and relationships. So we've been we started surveying people in mid-March, have followed up with them every few weeks. And every time we follow up, we add some new questions to Mm. the survey. And in one of the surveys, we added a lot of questions about fantasies. And one of the things we see is that people are actually fantasizing more on average now than they were before the pandemic. And the content of their fantasies is changing in some ways too. So for example, we see more passion and romance fantasies and fantasies that are a little bit less about the sex act itself and more about that emotional connection to the other person, which I think makes sense given how our needs for connection are really thwarted right now. Right. And besides connection, though, what uh, so psychologically, what do you think is going on in their heads that they want to have romantic and other types of fantasies? Like, what is the reason for that? Well, I also ask people about why they've had fantasies since the pandemic started. And typically the most common reason people have fantasies is to enhance sexual arousal. You know, they're fantasizing during masturbation or sex, but we actually find that rates of sexual activity are much lower right now. And that people on average are reporting fantasizing more for therapeutic reasons, for self-care reasons. Mm. So they're doing it to meet unfulfilled or unmet sexual or emotional needs, or they're seeking distraction or escape, or coping with boredom, right? So it's really more about self-care right now than it is about sexual arousal. And you're saying that the stats show that sex is down at this time, but do you think masturbation is up or have you uh, figured out if masturbation is up? So both sex and masturbation are down, which I think is really interesting. A lot of people thought everybody would be touching themselves right now, but um, what we see in our data is that so many people feel so stressed and anxious and lonely that they don't have the desire to do anything sexual, whether it's just by themselves or with a partner. And and have you found that um, other people, like Carol and I, um, because we weren't able to go out and swing and have threesomes and foursomes and moresomes, we had to find a way to add some spice to our sex life. And one of the things we did is we started doing some role playing and um, it's definitely added um, some some spice to our sex mm-hmm. life, doing it in different rooms, doing it in different um, places in our room. Have you noticed that people are doing a bit more of that as well? I have. And in fact, one in five of our participants in this Kinsey study say that they've tried something new in their sex lives since the pandemic began. And oftentimes that's maybe they've sexted for the first time or filmed themselves having sex or tried sex toys or they tried BDSM or role play. You know, there are lots of different ways that people are mixing it up right now. But what we see is that the people who are trying new things are the most likely to report improvements Mm -hmm. in their sex life. So 
there, there are benefits to be had by mixing it up. And we've heard a lot of reports about how some relationships really have thrived being stuck together in the same home, whereas the opposite has happened. There's the divorce rate has gone up. So I guess those that are thriving are the ones that are having the sex and doing the nice fresh stuff and the fun, spicy stuff. And those that are getting divorced just aren't. <laughs> And that's definitely what our data seem to suggest. Wow. And wow. definitely and definitely we've learned and, and as swingers we know how to communicate, but we've been challenged to actually communicate better with each other. Um, you know, I want sex three times a day, you want it three times a week, and we're in a house, we can't go to a party, we can't go to hedonism, we can't go on a cruise where we get to play with lots of people um, on vacation. So we've had to have that middle ground of, you know, doing it only once a day, right? <laughs> well, we definitely have had a lot of discussions about what we do we and have. what we don't do. We I mean, menopause is a killer, right? So, you know, once you get through menopause, your libido definitely is affected. So things change and, you know, that's life. We just have to talk about it, figure it out. And usually once I get going, it's all good. Right? Yeah, I'm not complaining about the quality or quantity of our sex life, but it definitely has gotten a little bit different. Carol, you've pushed some boundaries. Uh -huh, sure, absolutely. Um, especially with some toys. Uh, you know, Bunny at Sibian is going to be very happy that we've been using her device more and more and more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No Shout problem. out to Bunny Lampard at Sibian. Um, all right. Um, why don't we take a quick break? Sure, that'd be great. Yeah. And uh, then when we come back, we're going to talk about Justin's book. Yeah, just remind everybody that we are Carol and David, and this is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we're talking with author and sex researcher, Dr. Justin Lamiller, all about how people's needs um, can be met if you ask for what you want in bed. Now let's talk about topless travel and the amazing trip that we have planned for next year. Absolutely. And yes, of course, topless travel is the best if you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you simply must book with Topless Travel. From Hedonism 2 in Jamaica and Desire in Cancun to all the Bliss Cruise experiences, Topless Travel needs to be your number one choice. Their trips and events are all about the people and their sexy fun experiences. So let's shout out to their sexy host couples, including Chelsea and Mark, who are there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. Absolutely. And you'll find us on so many of their amazing uh, Topless Travel trips. And listen up. The one that we're really looking forward to this year is their Sexy Silver full takeover at Desire Pearl in 2020 from October 16th to the 23rd. And we're going to be broadcasting live from there. And you know what? Rooms are really selling quickly. So book now. Come and join us for a week. We would absolutely love to meet you. And for those who are booking early, you can check out the special deals that are being offered right now. And for more information about this trip or any of the Topless Travel events, just go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the Topless Travel Events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. All right, we're back. You know, we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we are chatting with author and sex researcher, Dr. Justin Lemiller, as we get into discussing his current book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Improve Your Sex Life. So, and we know you did tons of research. We know how all the data came about, but how did you go about putting it all together and presenting it in your book in a nice, cohesive fashion? Is it naughty, dirty? Is there, pic <laughs> is there pictures? <laughs> There are no pictures, um, but you know, hey, when it comes to naughty, dirty, they, some people think the fantasies in the book are pretty tame. Some people think they're pretty out there. Um, for me, it's it's kind of hard to surprise me anymore when it comes right. to sex. But 
one of the things that I did when looking at all this data was I asked people to write out their favorite fantasy of all time in narrative form. They could say as much or as little as they wanted. And then also to sum up their favorite fantasy in a single word that encapsulates the main theme. And so I used those single word descriptions to really look for what are the predominant themes in people's sexual fantasies. And I found that there were really seven major themes that emerged from that analysis. And so I kind of use that as the organizing framework for the book. So of course, we want to know what those seven themes are, please. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So that started first with multi-partner sex, the threesomes, foursomes. Is that number one, like the most fantasized? Single most common fantasy. Um, But actually threesomes were the specific variety that was more common than any other Mm multi-partner fantasy. And in fact, when I went to create a word cloud of the most popular fantasies, uh, the first time I went to create it, all it said was threesome because (laughs) so many people had said threesome Uh that it was just, it dwarfed every other word. So so multi-partner sex was the most common theme. But Justin, if I can interrupt for one second. Carol and I know there's a multitude of different combinations when it comes to threesomes. Did they get a little deeper into, is it three girls, three guys, two guys, one girl? I saw and heard it all. Mm -hmm. So it was every every combination you could imagine. And sometimes with a romantic partner, sometimes with a couple of strangers, Mm -hmm. sometimes with just no other person was was specified. You know, it's just, I want a threesome with this could be anyone just right. as long as there's multiple bodies they're great you know <laughs> very cool some people some people are a little more specific and picky when it comes to their fantasies i'm a little but... specific when it comes to my fantasies yes 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 <laughs> yes you've been through every one of them okay number two what would that be that would be bdsm so mm-hmm. anything involving power control or rough sex and i found that most people said they'd had at least some type of bdsm fantasy before so this is another really really common fantasy theme that would be including being tied up or blindfolded or flogged a little bit all of those things with the bdsm is a very big broad category and they talked yes. about all those different things and, and that's why it's so popular. But um, also a big part of that is just taking on a more dominant role mm-hmm. or a more submissive role mm-hmm. is a big part of it as well. You know, we just had a great guest on our show uh, from Bondessage, Jaylene Bennis. And um, she's a professional dominatrix. And she was teaching us what her new program is, where you mix uh, massage with bondage. And she calls it Bondessage. Uh, so therefore, I tied David down on the massage table, blindfolded him. He put earphones on like this. And I was able to just massage and touch in all different ways. It was very interesting. It was kinky, but not over the top, like very comfortably kinky in my, but, but in my you, world. But anyways. you were definitely dominating. Yeah. Well, I was. she was teaching me. And was she was on Zoom. On. Yeah. She was on Zoom when giving me the lesson for an hour and a half, and I was learning to, how to do it. It was very interesting. But you were getting turned on when you came around the front and you put your pussy at my hands. You were dripping. Well, yeah. I, why not? <laughs> I can't help it. That's <laughs> one of the things that you study, where that just happens automatically. But it's very, right? it, it's Justin. It's very funny because when we play in the lifestyle and we're in a big orgy. Um, if you want to find Carol, she's at the bottom of the pile. Mm-hmm. She's Queen the B. one. She's the one that everybody's doing. <laughs> and it was very uh, interesting seeing her being taught how to be more dominant and being and doing the doing. Yeah, and being in control. I, yeah. I was interested in doing that. I wasn't letting David take control. Basically, I wanted to do that part myself. So it was cool. 
Well, it sounds like you're Mistress Carol now. <laughs> Maybe. <so. laughs> <laughs> Might have to think of a better name. And Mistress Carol's not so sexy. <laughs> Francesca or something sexy like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. And what was the third one? So uh, next up on the list were the novelty and adventure fantasies. So mm. basically kind of thrill-seeking behaviors, but things where people are mixing it up and trying something new, like having sex in a new location or uh, semi-public sex where there's that risk of being caught. That was actually one of the much more popular types of fantasies. Uh, that was followed by the taboo fantasies, so doing anything that is socially or culturally forbidden. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the fetish fantasies tend to fall into that category. And then after that were the passion and romance fantasies where people are kind of meeting their deeper emotional needs through sex. And next up were the non-monogamy fantasies, which you guys might know a thing or two about. <laughs> um, <laughs> so swinging, uh, cuckolding, polyamory, open relationships, just having that option to have more than one sex partner, but not necessarily always at the same time. And that's kind of where I make a distinction between the non-monogamy fantasies and the group sex fantasies. So does sex on the beach fall under romantic or uh, public sex? How, do you, how would you classify that? Yeah, so a lot of the sex on the beach fantasies are much more about the passion and the romantic feelings, mm -hmm. more so than they are about the specific location. Mm -hmm. In that case, it's kind of how does this location make me feel? Mm -hmm. And then how does that change the experience of sex? And in the public ones that you read, was it about people watching? Was it exhibitionism and being watched in the public sex? Or just the, the thrill of it? Yeah, for the most part, it wasn't about wanting to be watched. It was just wanting that risk of mm. potentially being caught because that amplifies the intensity of the situation. Mm. There were certainly a lot of people who described exhibitionistic fantasies, but more commonly people, they don't actually want to put on a show because for a lot of people that creates performance anxiety. Yeah. So they just want that thrill of potentially being caught. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Wow. I mean, even in your home, you can be potentially caught by your kids or something. It doesn't have to be public sex. You could still be doing those thrilling things. And I think that's why you have your quickie in the closet when the kids are downstairs, you know, it's kind of cool. <laughs> right. Or yeah. when people are having a party at yeah. home and then they sneak away to go have sex you yeah. know, would be another example of that right right you come back all flushed and you know your hair is in a mess and no we were just uh, I was just showing him something <laughs> that's always fun just fucked hair I just fucked hair yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that issue <laughs> so if you were to tell us what the craziest thing you discovered that people fantasize about is I know you've seen everything but there's got to be something on the top of the list as crazy what would you call from it from your study in the book yeah oh before I get to that, sure. one other fantasy that I forgot to mention were the uh, homoeroticism and gender bending fantasies. Mm -hmm. So the fantasies where people are sort of pushing the boundaries of mm -hmm. their gender role or mm -hmm. sexual orientation in some way. That's also really common. Yeah, David was um, just pointing to me because just recently I started fantasizing about men, um, you know, doing oral sex to each other, which is not something I've ever seen in person, but it's something that I do fantasize about. So interesting. And you're not alone in that. Yeah. Like a lot of women are really turned on by the idea of, of watching two men have sex mm -hmm. or also a lot of women have lesbian fantasies, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. there's a lot, a lot of sexual diversity mm -hmm. that's out there. Yeah, and absolutely. Justin, one thing we found out where we're, we normally broadcast our show from Young Swingers Week at Hedonism in March. And over the last couple of years, um, we have found that on the younger side, because this is a, a, an organization that caters to a younger from 40, um, from sorry, 20 to 
to 40 at the age group, um, how they're exploring their sexuality and how more and more of the younger men are identifying as bisexual, not, not looking for a guy to play with a guy, but to play with a guy in a swinger type situation. And yep. admitting it, which there's me yeah. showing there's less and less taboo about that. And we, we're really enjoying Still that a long fact. way to go, yeah. but it, it's getting yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting when we look at the data, what we've seen in recent years is that the rate of people who identify as gay or lesbian hasn't really changed, but the rate at which people identify as bisexual has increased mm-hmm. for sure. threefold mm-hmm. in the last few years. Because so they're admitting it, basically. Yes, it's yeah. not that more people are becoming bi, right. it's just more people are comfortable acknowledging right. that aspect. Ca- Carol has created a different categories of bi. Yeah, I'm not bisexual but because, I mean, I'm not bi-curious. I'm not bisexual, first of all, but I'm not bi-curious because I've tried everything, basically. But I'm definitely bi-comfortable, uh, bi-playful, um, bi-selfish. When it's good for me, I'll do it. Bi-situational. You know? Yes. So we have a whole range of words, and it depends on the day and who we're with and how I feel, etc. So, yeah, I like to explore, sure, with other women, but I don't call myself bisexual because other women in the in the lifestyle who are bisexual are actually going out looking for women to play with, whereas I just will play if it's the right situation. It's not my goal to play with other women. That's why I, I make the differentiation. So it's cool. Yeah. And it's I have no problem if any woman wants to do me or go down on me it has to that's no problem so yeah there's yeah there's different levels and different comfort comfort zones but yeah it's all good if you ask me well to get back to your question about the most uh, interesting thing (laughs) i i'm a little hesitant to use the word crazy because i don't want to imply that it was you know too out there but um there was one fantasy that just it it stands out to me because it was something i learned about that i had never heard about before when i was conducting the survey and that was the woman who described her favorite fantasy of all time as being a human cow and when you looked at the narrative what she wrote out her fantasy was that she would be tied up in the center of town force-fed hormones so that she would lactate continuously and that people could come and have sex with her and milk her anytime they wanted. So it's a BDSM forced sex kind of fantasy that has these very fetishistic elements of erotic lactation in it. And I found it super fascinating. And I had to find out, do other people have this fantasy? So I went on some of the popular porn sites and I found on Pornhub there are hundreds of human cow videos and on Amazon there are dozens of human cow erotica novels and so I learned a new sexual interest as a result of doing this. We just learned something. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) We learn every show. I guess as a researcher that's your goal, right, is to learn what's going on out there but it's kind of fun after so many years to find something that you haven't heard of before. Well, I certainly had never heard of that either but that's very cool. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, just when I, every time I think I've heard it all, I find something new. So that's the fun thing about yeah. my work. That's now, did cool. you did you find that people had uh, fantasies about age? Like, for example, the MILF. I mean, these young guys fantasize about, of course, and that's, I think, the third most searched on, on Pornhub. But what about the women who want to go with the younger men? And th- like that age differentiation wasn't one of the things that you mentioned in the top seven, but it's got to be something, there's got to be something with the age as well, right? Yeah, and I did find there were a lot of fantasies about partners of different ages. So I asked about the MILF and DILF fantasies, also the you know Gilf. grandma and grandpa fantasies, <laughs> yes. the Gilf, Gilf fantasies. I asked about it all. Um, and, and the MILF and DILF categories were actually particularly popular. And I, I think a big part of the 
appeal of the MILF fantasies, especially for heterosexual men, is that they're looking for a woman who's dominant, who's going to take charge. And when you look at the way that MILFs are portrayed in pornography, that's exactly what they are. They're just more dominant, mm -hmm. more assertive. Right. And I find that a lot of guys have submission fantasies mm -hmm. and they don't really have the freedom to act them out because they feel all this pressure that they have to be the initiator. And so having this older, more experienced woman is a chance for them to kind of let go and let her take the lead. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. I need to ask a question. What about mother-daughter? Oh, there were certainly some incest fantasies mm -hmm. that came up. Um, I was a little surprised. I found that one in five people said that they had had an incest fantasy of some type before. I think we tend to think that that's a pretty rare sexual interest, but uh, more people have had a fantasy about that than than you might think. Okay, yeah. that that's a good answer to that question I didn't ask. <laughs> the question is like oh. me me wanting to do a mother and daughter. <laughs> Uh, are you putting it out there? Is that what you're trying to tell me? He I, wants I to put it into the universe, I so am. maybe it's it'll come back It's a mother-daughter and sisters. I, I have it on my list. What about twins? But, That's but hard. You, don't mean, you don't mean at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah at yeah, the yeah. same time. Mother oh, and daughter time. together and me. That's my threesome. Carol, you can join too if you I'm want. I'm allowed to join. Yes, okay, you are. okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a foursome now. <laughs> well, you know, that fantasy, that specific version that you mentioned did come up uh, sort of in that category of having sex with two people who are related. Uh, and also the twin fantasies were there as well. So, yeah, it's it's not that unusual or uncommon to fantasize. You see, I'm right. normal. I, okay, fine. Almost. Okay, fine. Well, I can remember many years ago, I'm, I'm guessing 15 years ago when I first met David, um, I went to a concert in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and Taylor Swift was there as one of the opening acts before she was super famous and before she was like on the top of the charts, etc. And for whatever reason, she was in a, just kind of like a casual skirt and she was strumming her guitar. And I got this like totally aroused by her. And like I told you, I'm not bisexual, right? And but then when I came home after that, and I was having sex with David, and I would think about her like right before I orgasmed. And at first, I thought, Oh, wow, I don't even know why I got aroused that time at the concert. I don't even know what it did. But I used that to like get me over the top and, and orgasm for uh, like 10 years. So Taylor Swift was my go to for getting into the orgasm. And I kind of felt a little bit guilty because she's like the same age as my daughter. And I kind of mm -hmm. just that connection. And I don't even know if I ever told anybody publicly before this very minute, but it's very public now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I kind of felt the guilt because she was the same age as my daughter. But I have and I have no idea why she aroused me while she was playing her song. Is that something that happens in your research institute to find out what makes people get aroused? Well, I think what you're describing there fits in really well with something I talk about in the book, which is this idea of sexual flexibility. And, you know, some of us have more flexibility than others, and we get turned on by a wider range of situations and including things that are unexpected that we never thought that would be that we would be aroused by so it might just be that you're somebody who's a bit more flexible and, and based on some of the other things we we're talking about <laughs> probably true to, right to yeah adapt to different yeah. roles so i think it's all part of just a bigger flexibility in terms oh, of your sexuality interesting well Very see i had to ask the expert and now i got a good answer so yeah. thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> and I know you were talking about uh, some things in your book about some of the most popular uh, scenes like kissing and sex scenes, like some were, some were from movies. What, what are those popular things? 
Yeah, so one of the questions I asked was, have you ever fantasized about recreating a scene from a famous movie or TV show? And the single most common scene that people mentioned was the upside down kissing scene in one of the Spider-Man movies. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. But it, it was funny when I was reading how people said that went, um, I had a lot of people who said, you know, it looked really sexy in the movie, but then when I did it, it actually felt just like a regular kiss. So it wasn't very exciting. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so sometimes fantasy doesn't always, you know, match up with reality. Well, we just had um, some friends over for the weekend and um, she um, is a very flexible contortionist type person. And she had a fantasy that she wanted played out. And what she wanted to do was do a handstand. And while she was doing the handstand, she was sucking a guy's cock, her husband's cock, and I was licking her pussy. So she wanted to open her legs to to do that so that you know she could have her pussy licked and suck a cock at the same time and she did it for like five minutes (laughs) and me and her husband we were like hell this is good life all i had to do was hold her legs up here and he was down there and um she and her fantasy came true her fantasy came true wow wow interesting and well we should ask her if it was better or worse than what she had imagined it would be and we didn't really ask that question (laughs) are there a couple of other are there a couple of other movie scenes that uh, come to mind um, that's the main one I remember off the top of my head. I mean, there were several that people mentioned. Um, just to, you know, I also asked people about the songs that go through their head when they have fantasies, because you know, for some people it's set to music, but mm-hmm. for other people it isn't. And you know, for some people it's like classic Barry White kind of stuff. Right. And uh, for uh, you know, it's that's what I find so fascinating about our fantasies is just how individually contextualized they are and how there are certain elements of pop culture that get reflected in them sometimes things we've seen in porn or or sometimes our past sexual experiences and so our fantasies are really this unique amalgamation of things we're exposed to and experiences we've had and for that reason they say a lot about us and our culture yeah absolutely now in the swinging lifestyle of course one of the main things that we do is we like to dress up and certainly sexy outfits and some of them are classic sexy outfits like schoolgirl or nurse sexy nurse or one of those things like that which you often see on porn but that way you become kind of the porn star when you do it but I know when we watch Sex Explained they talked about um, how costumes and role play were very important in sex and in fantasies did they quote you did they they quoted you on that topic wasn't it Yes, I think we did talk about uniform fantasies in there. And that that was one of the things I asked people about was, have you ever fantasized about a person in uniform? And if so, which uniforms? Mm -hmm. And I found that about half of my participants had had a uniform fantasy. But the most common uniform fantasies were uh, military, police, and firefighters. Uh, so, So uniforms that sort of convey authority, power, and status seem to be the most popular. But there were certainly a lot of nurse and doctor and cheerleader and also a couple of the, um, you know, sort of UPS and delivery person fantasies as well. (laughs) The person who shows up and says, knocks at your door and says, I've got a big package for you, you know? Right. right. (laughs) Well, I used to work as a flight attendant for 10 years. And I got to tell you, that was the most sexual, um, adventurous, time of my life that I've ever had until we became swingers but I don't know what it was but passengers were always giving me their phone numbers um, <laughs> coming to the hotel after we got off a flight I just wanted a quick fuck wanted to it was just I, I had sex was was from everywhere and it wasn't with flight other flight attendants it was just with passengers who were 
you know, out there wanting to have a good time. Wow, you turned the it was on my during uni- the flight? No, it wasn't me. It was the uniform. Okay, well, there you go. Or, or was it the dedication to the job? Because it sounds like you were giving first-class service. First-class service, yes. Okay, I'm, s- a, I'm afraid to ask now, David. <laughs> So one of the key questions we have is that when people have these fantasies, which they shared with you anonymously, which was wonderful for your research, but if they really want to share those fantasies with their partners, how do they actually bring it up to their partners? And not feel weird about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a great question. And my advice is always to start first with working on yourself because you have to feel good about yourself and you have to shed a lot of that shame and insecurity and anxiety before you can put yourself in that position of vulnerability where you're going to share your deepest sexual fantasy with someone else. And that's something that I think my book can really help with for a lot of people is to show you you're not alone in having your fantasies and there's no reason to feel ashamed of them. So start first with a little bit of self-acceptance. Then when you're ready to start sharing your fantasies with your partner, start low, Mm -hmm. go slow. You know, don't get the most adventuresome fantasy out there right away. Like I get a lot of men who email me and say, I really want to try cuckolding. You know, I want to watch my wife have sex with another man. How do I make that happen? And I'm like, oh, well, let's back up a little bit. You know, you don't necessarily want to jump right into that. Right. So start by sharing your more vanilla types of fantasies, build up trust and intimacy, practice acting those out and develop your communication skills because that's really essential to having fantasies that work out well later on. Mm -hmm. And we have had many, many experts on our show um, who have talked about fantasies and role-playing and pushing boundaries and pushing limits. And one of the things that is always brought up when you're in a relationship is if your partner brings something up to you, don't immediately say no. Talk about yes. what, what possible outcome you could expect or accept. And I think it's that brings up a couple of things. One is when you're sharing your fantasies, I think it's really important to validate your partner in the process because a, a big part of the reason why a lot of people shut down when their partner shares a fantasy is because they think it means, oh, my partner isn't into me anymore. They're not attracted to me. Our sex isn't good. So it's important to validate your partner and try to head off those insecurities. But if your partner shares something with you that you're not entirely into, don't judge them or shame them. And don't immediately say no, but take some time to think about it. Because maybe the reason that you have that initial knee-jerk reaction is just because it's something you've never thought about before. And you know, for example, if you think about something like a BDSM fantasy and your partner shares that and says they're really into it, well, there's all kinds of ways that you could enact that fantasy. And maybe there are certain variants that you might find to be really pleasurable. Right. So mm-hmm. give it some time, let it marinate and come back to that conversation mm-hmm. later. Because mm-hmm. we always you know, are stopped by that uncomfortable conversation. And then sometimes you don't even want to discuss it. Right. The easiest thing to do is say no. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, no. uh, it doesn't feel right to talk about it. But like you said, if you think about it for a little bit, figure it out in your own head and then come back to it and say, you know, I've been thinking about it. Maybe I don't want to do that, but perhaps this. That's the kind of thing probably you're you're uh, talking about when you say get the communication going and, and start off slow. I agree. Those, yeah. those semi-vanilla fantasies should be where you begin, not cuckolding. <laughs> I think it's also important to recognize that our sexual fantasies change as we get older. And this was one of the most interesting things in my research because almost all research on sexual fantasies is based on college students Mm -hmm. who are actually the most boring group of people you could study if you want to learn about sexual fantasies because they're not very adventuresome. They just started having sex. And so, you know, very basic, very vanilla sex is something that 
they tend to fantasize about more. But as people approach midlife and get in their 40s and 50s, that's where fantasies become the most diverse and adventuresome. And so this is another reason why I often say it's important to not think about when you're starting a relationship with someone that you can establish sexual compatibility at the get-go and your partner is going to want the same thing forever. We change, we evolve, our fantasies change and evolve and you kind of need to learn to, to grow together with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, this is all such amazing stuff. Uh, let's just take a second to remind everybody that we are Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle and on today's show is brought to brought to you by Promescent and all of their sexual health and wellness products. We have an amazing discussion going on right here with Dr. Justin Lamiller. He's an author and sex researcher and coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters, so stay tuned. If you're looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible people and events in your area, then go to sdc.com and use promo code 30314 to get your first month free. Check it out. Alrighty, we're back. We're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. Now's the time that we've been waiting for where we get to find out how fantasies can help us have great sex. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about, well, like you said before, where uh, you said some fantasies you shouldn't fulfill, but how often do actual fantasies come true for people? So I asked my participants whether they actually wanted to act on their favorite fantasy of all time. And I found that 80% of them said that they did. So for most people, their favorite fantasy is a desire, but only 20%, about one in five, say that they've ever actually done it before. Mm -hmm. So there's a really big gap between what we want when it comes to sex and then what it is that we're actually doing. Okay, hon, I'm going to ask you the question. Okay, Uh-oh. I'm going to ask you the question. You know all my fantasies. Yes. I know this fantasy that you have of being in an orgy and two guys are there doing each other. Yeah. Is that something you actually want to see or do you want to keep it as a fantasy? Well, no, in that particular fantasy, I'm only watching. So that's easy to engage. I just have to be there when two guys are sucking each other's cocks. That's an easy one that I would love to fulfill anytime. Um, so what would you be doing? I don't know at the time. I don't know. In my fantasy, I'm just watching. Okay. Yeah. Are you sucking another cock? I'm just watching. Interesting. There you go. Interesting. Because in my fantasy, I'm participating. Yeah, I get it. All your fantasies, you're participating. Exactly. (laughs) David never watches. He's always doing. (laughs) It's all good. So we have a lot of people who want to fulfill their fantasy, but not so many that actually have fulfilled their fantasy. Is that what you found out? It's exactly what I found out. But what I found was that the people who had shared and acted on their fantasies were the most sexually satisfied. They reported the fewest problems with sexual functioning, so less difficulties with desire, arousal, and orgasm. And they also reported being in the happiest and most satisfying romantic relationships. So all of that suggests that the people who are getting more in touch with their fantasies, who are incorporating them into their sex lives are are really doing the best. And it makes sense because they're getting more of what they want. They're adding more novelty into the relationship. And we know that novelty is key to sustaining passion and any type of long-term relationship. And did you find that um, there was women who had more fantasies versus men who had more or like what was the, the ratio? So, 
the vast majority of both men and women report having sexual fantasies, but men do tend to fantasize about sex a little bit more often. Um, they tend to think about sex a little more often. In fact, one of my favorite studies looking at this was they gave men and women tally counters, like you would you know, see somebody, a bouncer at a bar use to count how many people are going in. And they had people click it throughout the day every time they had a sexual thought. And they found that on average, men thought about sex about twice an hour and women thought about sex about once an hour. Mm -hmm. So men have sex in the brain a little bit more than women do. Um, but you know, both men and women are fantasizing and fantasizing frequently. And did you find that women um, more often than not fantasize about being with another woman? That was a very common fantasy among women. So when we start to look at gender differences in fantasies, the, the things that men fantasize about more often are the multi-partner and non-monogamy fantasies and also the taboo fantasies. Um, but things that women fantasize about more include BDSM. And also for heterosexually identified women, having same-sex fantasies is super common. In mm -hmm. fact, it was somewhere between 55-60% of uh, women in my study who, who said they were exclusively heterosexual, who had had a same-sex fantasy, but the number of exclusively heterosexual men who had had a same-sex fantasy was only about 25-26%. So there's a huge difference. It there. is. And we, and we see that in the swinging lifestyle mm -hmm. where um, um, when two couples meet, um, if the two women click, and they don't necessarily need to be bisexual, but they need to have an attraction to each other, um, the swinging, the playing for the evening will work versus if the guy connects with a woman and the other woman connects with the guy. If the two women aren't connected, um, it, it normally doesn't happen. And then when we go play, um, you see that the women, whether they're bisexual or not, um, they will kiss, touch, not necessarily go down and lick each other's pussies. But I mean, that happens with the women who are yeah, all in bisexual. Yeah. But there's definitely that in the swinging lifestyle the women are very comfortable touching each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that makes sense in light of what I see in my research on people who are acting out group sex fantasies. I find that people who identify as heterosexual have the hardest time making those fantasies work out. Um, people who are gay, for example, they have the best time mm -hmm. and the best experiences because everyone's kind of on the same page. They don't have to worry about gender dynamics. Um, people who are bisexual also tend to report better experiences because they're a bit more flexible when it comes to the gender of their partners. So it's it's actually the heterosexual people who find it a little bit more challenging to, to make group sex work. Now, if you were to sum up how fantasies help you fulfill your your desires and have a better relationships over and above having better communication, what would you say is the number one reason why fantasies are helping people have better sex? Yeah. So I think the single biggest reason is that you're getting what you want. Mm -hmm. And so many people have difficulty telling their partner what they really want in bed. And they just kind of expect their partner to be a mind reader and to figure it out on their own. So when you're able to communicate about your fantasies, that ensures that you're getting that pleasure that you want. But also, as I talked about a little earlier, you're getting that dose of novelty. Mm -hmm. You're trying something that's new and different. And that's just so, so important for keeping the passion alive. And what we see is that when people interject more novelty in their sex life, that's actually what boosts desire and makes them want to have sex even more. Now, what if you don't actually have a fantasy that you want to fulfill? Like I was mentioning recently, currently, I have this you know, two-man fantasy. But earlier in my life, I didn't have fantasies. I didn't have a lot of expectations when we went into a bedroom with a new guy. He would say, well, what do you like? What do you want? What are you looking for? 
and I didn't really know, maybe I didn't know how to express it or I didn't really know what I wanted. I, w- I would just say, well, I like it all. Let's just, let's just go. But do you find people who don't have fantasies? So there are some people who literally cannot have sexual fantasies. They have what we call aphantasia, which involves an inability to voluntarily visualize any type of mental imagery. So there are some people who who just can't have them. But there are also some people who report not having fantasies. And it's not because they have aphantasia. It's just they, they just don't fantasize. And part of the reason for that is because they haven't figured out what they like or what mm-hmm. they want or what works mm-hmm. for them. And I think when it comes to sex, so much of it is we don't know what we like until we see it or until we try it. Right. Yeah. And so what I, I often recommend to people who say I don't have fantasies is to go read some erotic fiction, read Nancy Friday's books on sexual fantasies, figure out what's out there and see if any of those things resonate with mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Cool. Well, we're coming to the end of the show, and we're not going to get into the final advice just yet, but we could not do a show without us bringing up threesomes and group sex. And I know you do a workshop and you do a talk on uh, threesomes and group sex, fantasy versus reality. And how do you talk to people? You know, I mean, everybody sees and hears about swinging, but unless you're like us and you've been in the lifestyle, you don't get the ins and outs of it. So what are the first things you tell people when, when they have these fantasies? Do, do, do you tell them, go ahead and do it? Or do you say, keep it as a fantasy? Or do you say, here's step one? Yeah, so when it comes to, to group sex, threesomes, any of that, it's proceed with caution (laughs) and to do a lot of research and talk a lot about it before you get into that situation. So one book I often recommend people read is the ethical slut, which I'm sure you're probably familiar Mm -hmm. with because a, a lot of people just don't really have a script for group sex or how these things go or, you know, in their mind, they think, Oh, this sounds great, but they haven't thought about all the issues that might come up. Like, they might, they might spontaneously feel jealousy mm-hmm. that they didn't think they were going to feel. So I think there's a lot of advanced work on figuring out, you know, what do we actually want out of this? What are our boundaries and rules for who's allowed to do what with whom? And, and also, I think it's really important with group sex to have a safe word, because sometimes people get into those situations and realize, oh, I'm super uncomfortable, uh, I'm not into this, or I'm suddenly jealous and insecure. It's like, so how do you have an exit strategy in place so that you can gracefully get out of that type of situation. I got to right. pee. That's usually my word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I love asking people about their safe words. Yeah, it's great having a safe word. You just have to remember it. Yeah. Um, no, but, but some, of the, some of the important things that we talk about, because um, unlike you, who's an expert on a lot of things related to sexuality, uh, we're only experts on swinging because we've been doing it for 12 years. Um, if you're in a relationship where you're not having great sex or you're having issues, going into the swinging lifestyle is going to make your relationship crash and burn. You don't become a swinger. You don't add new people into your relationship to try and fix something. And then we tell people, if you have this need and this want and you've spoken about swinging and you go in and do it, shit is going to happen and you cannot hold it against each other, nor should one person take it for the team. So just know that you go in, it looks, you know, everybody's having a great time. But like you were saying, Justin, if you don't have your rules and your limits and your expectations, um, it's not going to be a fun time. And sometimes you go in and you just watch, go to a club, go to on a vacation, just watch what other people do, talk to other people in the lifestyle. Everybody's super friendly. 
you know, there's three rules. Ask first, no means no. And if you don't get an enthusiastic yes, it means no. If you follow those rules, you're going to have a great time in the lifestyle and you're going to meet some amazing, amazing, great, respectful people. Yeah, and that's similar to a lot of the advice I give in my workshops is, you know, when it comes to acting on these fantasies, recognize that it might not match up with how it went in your head. And sometimes it takes a while to perfect a fantasy. Mm -hmm. And just because it didn't go well the first time doesn't mean you never have to do it again or you Mm -hmm. never can do it again. Mm -hmm. But talk about it afterwards and figure out what is it that you want to do differently the next time to make it better. Um, So I think that's really important. And also what you said about don't act on a fantasy to fix a broken relationship. Uh, The relationship has to be in a strong position and you have to approach fantasies from this position of strength where you've got the trust, the intimacy, the communication, because if you don't have those things, it's probably not going to go well. And your top number one um, fantasy about threesomes, a lot of men and women don't realize that it's a lot of work when you're one guy and two women trying to please them or one girl and two guys and try to please them. So yeah, it, it's it's a little bit more than what you even could imagine in your head because in your, in your head, it's all hot and horny. It's great. But you have to make sure that you please all partners are pleased equally. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's a tall order yes. for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that little brain of mine, you know, it gets distracted having a girl on my face, a girl on my cock, and, you know, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> I, I know most men out there aren't giving me any sympathy for that, but those are the things that you got to deal with when you're in the, the lifestyle. Absolutely. So I think we are getting to the end of our show. We've been enjoying this so much. We usually like to wrap up and ask a final question or a final bit of advice that you can leave us with. So, so Justin, what would you say would be the top two things that a couple should consider before revealing a fantasy that they've kept secret for years? Well, first, not all fantasies have to be shared right? Um, There are benefits to getting more in touch with our fantasies, but think about, you know, do you just want this for you? Or is it really important that you add this to your relationship? And if you share it with your partner, why are you doing it? Is it to add, is it to get to know your partner better? Is it because you actually want to act on it? Is it something you just want to use as a form of dirty talk? So kind of think those things through. What is it that you really want to get out of this? And sometimes it's okay to just keep a fantasy to yourself and just enjoy it for you. And then when it comes to actually sharing the fantasies uh, and acting on them, again, it's it's all proceed with caution and have that communication and trust present because without that, the experiences usually don't go well and recognize that there are always potential risks along with the potential rewards. And you have to carefully balance those two things because yes, most people who share and act on their fantasies report positive outcomes, but some people report negative experiences. So carefully balance that risk and reward ratio. Wow. What a great way to end an amazing show. Justin, you know, it's been years that we've been trying to hook up with you and have you on our show. Uh, Thanks so much for being here. Why don't you take a few minutes and tell everyone how they can find you online, social media, your website, and of course, where to buy your book. So my website is sex and psychology at sexandpsychology.com. And I've been running that site for about eight or nine years. And I blog about the latest sex research several times per week. So if you want to keep up with the latest data, you can find it on there. And you can also find links to my books and workshops and lectures and journal articles, you name it, social media. Uh, so you can find it all on there. And the book, Tell Me What You Want, is available at your favorite bookseller, Amazon, elsewhere. So and it's also available in different formats. If you want the audiobook that I read to you myself, you can find that too. Beautiful. Ooh, Carol Perfect. might like you reading her <laughs> all about fantasies. 
So if you missed any hey, of that, in, if you've missed any of that information, of course, um, just go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests have their own guest page, including Dr. Justin Langmiller. He'll have all his information there. And you can even contact him if you have any questions about sex, sexuality, fantasies, relationships, whatever it might be. Absolutely. And you know, like this week, we're learning more and more every week with all our amazing guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you know, you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Well, that's it for our show today. Justin, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute delight. And like we do every week, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. You can join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, and sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 